Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is XJob Downloaded. And today I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Matt Johnson and John Murray. Now, these gentlemen were members of the Metropolitan Police and they've got a huge amount of history around their service. But today we're going to talk about their new publication, No Ordinary Day, and we'll come on to how that title came about later on. But gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. And uh, and welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Paul. Glad to be with you. Well, and this is a piece of history. Um, the, the murder of Yvonne Fletcher is a piece of history that will sit in most police officers' minds. You know, in modern history. And I say modern. We're talking thirty-nine years ago, aren't we, sir? Is you know that's that's. But it's still modern history. But how did well look? Let's start from the beginning. John, you served in Bow Street with Yvonne. How did this all come about? And you know, how did the book come about? Well, I mean, you know, if I go back to the 70th of April '84, I mean, you know, we were working in Bow Street. We actually shouldn't have been there on the day, as, as, as you probably know. Uh, and it was pure coincidence that we ended up at the square, and uh, obviously the shots rang out, and, and uh, Yvonne was shot and killed. Um, it's taken me the best part of 40 years now to, to get to uh, the bottom of, bottom of it, if, if, if you like. Uh, it, it's taken a long, long time. Um, but but I thought for a while that people should know um, the true story because everybody I speak to, former officers, they all know what they were doing the day Yvonne Fletcher was shot. They all know where they were, what they were doing. They all know the story of how she got shot. What they didn't know was what went on beforehand and what went on afterwards. And therein, I believe, lies the real story. So it was important to to, to approach Mac to, to see if he could do this book uh, and get it out there so everybody you know could understand and realise exactly what went on over the last few years. Um, and Matt, you are a published author. You know, former police officer, uh, military uh-huh. as well, I believe. Before before that, yeah, that's right. Yeah. How did you make that leap from police officer to author? Because I mean, we are good at writing reports, I think, and we're good at um, talking to people and getting things down. But it's it's quite a, quite a leap. What what happened is I towards the latter part of my service, um, I I started to get um, symptoms of of what I now know is post traumatic stress disorder. Right. I didn't know what it was. I had. Um, uh, all the classic symptoms of, of PTSD, which is hypervigilance type of thing. And then I, I suffered like nightmares, unpleasant dreams. Um, and to cut a long story short, I, I went to the doctor, got, got placed sick, and the doctor referred me for counselling. Um, and I was having counselling for quite a long time, and it wasn't working terribly well. My counsellor 
um, was experienced in a, in a type of therapy called creative writing therapy. And she asked me to um, like take part in this, this course of therapy. And it was tremendously effective. And, and one day she said to me, um, why don't you write a book? And I'll be honest with you, I laughed. I was, I've never had such a ridiculous idea in all my life, you know. Why would I want to write a book? But fast forward a few years and um, I ended up getting divorced. I found myself with some time on my hands and my brother said to me, he said, well, what are you going to do with yourself? So I said, I've got no idea. I said, I'm a bit too old to start working for other people. I don't like taking orders from people and rather work for myself, but I don't know really what I want to do. And he said, well, why don't you write that book that that counsellor was nagging you to write? Have a go. What have you got to lose? So I did. Uh, got very lucky. Uh, got a publisher. Got an agent. Uh, got published. The, the the book did very well. Got nominated for a Crime Writers Association Dagger Award, which was most unusual for somebody's first book. Um, and it's things sort of took off from then, really. Um, and I was, I, you know, I just count myself really lucky, really, because I, I, my first book was dedicated to the memory of Yvonne, because the day that Yvonne was killed was one of the, my, my main triggers for the the PTSD. Yes, because I did the ambulance escort, and for years afterwards, I was. I kept convincing myself that had I taken a better route, had I driven the route better, had I got her to hospital faster, that the result could have been different. That's a hell of a burden to carry, Matt. You can't, you know, you can't carry that sort of burden on your shoulders. Well, you're you're absolutely right. And it was only when I spoke to John many years later that I learned from John that it would have made no difference to me what had happened it would have made no difference um and it was interesting comparing john and my experiences that john suffered similar kind of guilt because on the day of the shooting he changed places with yvonne he swapped positions so a, a moment earlier a moment later he should have been standing in the spot where yvonne was and he of course he suffered that same kind of guilt that i suffered yeah but but then fast forward and John, as luck would have it, had, had become a um, a reader of mine because he'd learned about the book being dedicated to Yvonne. Um, and then one day when we were doing this um, recording for the Victoria Derbyshire show, um, we ended up having a conversation about the prospect of doing a book. Uh, and I confess I was really quite intimidated by the by the idea, by the prospect, and you know it's quite a responsibility. But once I started, you know, it's it's a fantastic story, and I just felt I had to continue. It is a fantastic story, and I, you know, it's a very emotive. The, the the stuff that I've read in there, and and for you guys to to put it down and read it back, it must have been quite quite hard. How did you find it, John, from your perspective? You, I mean, you're very, um, it's very graphic in the way that you describe the events of the day. Um, as I say, there's a it's a classic. It's the classic. Um, we had this painting on our wall at the police station when I when uh -huh. I joined. You know, so. But how was that reliving it through that book? Because you've lived it every day since April nineteen eighty four, and I'm sure you know in your own mind. But how was that when you're recounting it back in the story? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I have relived it, and I mean, I found the book um, very harrowing. Uh, you know, when I went through it. Um, because obviously, it, for me, it brought back a lot of 
bad memories. Mm. But on the other hand, it also brought back some good memories. And um, I found it a difficult read. Um, I will be perfectly honest. And some, you know, and some of the parts that, that I read, um, I was in tears. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind admitting it. Um, but that is why I think it is such a powerful story, because it is from the heart and it is, it is what happened. Uh, and, and and I think, you know, that's what people have got to realise. But I, it is, it is, I think it's a hard read. It, it is a hard read. I mean, to, but you're, you're right. I mean, I, I'm not going to go into the full detail around it, but the fun times that you guys had at Bow Street and all the, all the laughs and, you know, Chris Donaldson and all the people that you mentioned, um, life was good at that time. And then this awful event that took place in St James's Square, and this will stay in the in the police history. It will stay in the history forever and ever. And and you guys have committed it in such a way that you will stay in that history as well. Paul, this was this, this was the the greatest tragedy, quite possibly the greatest tragedy in UK policing history. I mean, it's not the only time a, a police officer has been murdered on, on duty. It's it's not the only type of murder of its kind it's not the only time a wpc has been killed it's the only time it has been captured live on television mm. cameras filming it happening as it happened an incredible event um, and it really marked uh, a sea change in the attitude of the police service to how it was going to deal with armed situations we were totally on that date totally ill-prepared who on earth could have possibly predicted or expected that a man was going to lean out of the window of an embassy and fire a machine gun at police and demonstrators that was that was never ever going to happen was it that wasn't that was just something that wasn't in the script and no, it didn't happen yeah it didn't happen it, it never happened before and and and, uh, and Mark's quite right um you know um, it's not just myself and Yvonne, you know, it, it's the other forgotten victims as well. You know, uh, other police officers who were there who have been affected and, and have kept quiet for a long, long time and, yeah. and, until I spoke to them. Um, the Libyans who were shot, 12, 13 Libyans, they were shot and wounded as well. Um, people who lived and were working in St. James's Square, everybody was affected. Um, and it's taken a long, long time for these people to speak out. And, and you're right, because people... Society have forgotten about those other victims. I, I, I was at, um, I, I was playing golf at my local golf course with a former Met officer, a guy called Barry Oldroyd Jones, and his brother. There's a picture of his brother, who was there on that day, running up the road. You know, and it, it, but you forget about you forget about the Johns. You forget about the Mats, you know, and Yvonne is the is the 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 focal point, and I understand that, and absolutely rightly so. Yeah. But you've got all these other victims. They were they were a lot. I mean, and, and they a lot of those victims, Paul, were afraid. Mm. They were afraid of coming forward, telling what they knew, and then as as time rolled on, and they thought things are forgotten about, the dust has settled. Eventually, Gaddafi, who was, who was the main threat against them, is dead. And there it would have ended if it were not for John continually keeping it in the public eye. And because John was so good at keeping it in the public eye and keeping it in the, in the public conscience, these people who were potential witnesses and who knew things started to come forward. 
and they had information. And the, of course, they were able to reveal what had really happened and why. And and the, 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 the process that you went through, John, I mean, that must have been absolutely horrendous, for, you know, to keep that battle, that promise that you made on that day that you weren't, you know, you were going to continue this until you got it to a successful conclusion. That must have eaten you up. Oh, it, it was very, very, very difficult. I mean, in, in the early days, you know, the first few years, um, I was on my own trying to do this, and, and, and it was it was hard. Um, I mean, I got to the stage where I couldn't continue anymore, and I had to ask for help, and, and the help that I got from former officers and serving officers, you know, was incredible. Um, uh, and it, it was very, very difficult. But um, maybe it's old-fashioned, but I made a promise to her, and, and, and she died in my arms. And, and the last word she heard was, my words which said you know i will find them i will get them i don't know why i don't know when but i will get them now you've got to see that through to the bitter end because matt said it earlier on we changed places that day two or three times i felt guilty for a long long time because because it, it should have been me it should have been shot that day uh, i was a bit bigger and a bit stronger and i might have survived i don't know um but that's why you've got to fight uh, and, and you've got to get to the truth because the lies, the deceits, the, the corruption that, that, you know, that's happened to me over, over the years, I knew was wrong. I knew there was something, uh, you know, something not quite right. Uh, and that's why you keep going. But where have the blockers come from for, for you guys in order to get this book out? Have, have there been blockers? Matt, have you, have you suffered as a result of this? Yeah, um, I had to make numerous freedom of information requests to the, the Home Office and the Foreign Office for for what should have been public, publicly available information. Um, messages back from the National Archives, for example, saying you can't see certain documents and, and meant that we had to go up there. Um, you can't take these documents with you. You can't photograph these documents. Um, Things, these things are, be, that are supposed to be publicly available. And suddenly, you know they're there in the National Archives, and then when you go and look, they've gone. Mm. <laughs> you know, we, we had a chap called John Tidy who was immensely helpful because he lives near to the National Archives. And he, he would, like, go to the National Archives, and he would, he would find a file, and he said, right, that's the one you want to apply for, Matt. Get a copy of it. Right, so I'd make an application. National Archives say, so we haven't got that file. And John would say, well, I've looked at it. You know, it's there. I say, well, go back and have another look. It's gone. By the time we got back there, it had gone. What had happened is, is somehow the, de the department involved had been notified that this um, uh, this file had uh, uh, been inquired about. People were asking questions about it, um, and the ministry. All they need to do is, on the grounds of public interest, ask for that file to be withdrawn, and they can pull it, That's and you don't get to see it anymore. That's and that's the kind of thing. So, so that only happened once. You know, once that kind of thing happens, you get armed to the fact. Yeah. So we were a lot more circumspect from that point on about any visits or any applications to the National Archives as we delved for information. No mention of a book. <laughs> no. Just you know, casual interest. Um, uh, and from that point on. But similar problem with freedom of information requests. I would have uh, an FOI request turned down on the grounds of national security or 
I'd get a, a, a result from a, an FIO request, which was heavily redacted. But what was particularly interesting was you could look at um, what they did send you, look at what was redacted, then compare the redacted material to, for example, information in Hansards of debates that took place in the House of Parliament, other material that was, was, was available in the National Archives, and you could fill in the gaps. So when they blocked out names of people what they were talking about in a particular discussion at the cabinet office, for example, you could look in somewhere else and say, yeah, that's that's who they were talking about at that meeting. So that must be the name that they've redacted. And I, you could piece it together. It, it begs belief, but I have to say it's a well-researched book. I mean, the detail in there is absolutely immense. You, you can't... There's nothing has been left to the imagination in what you've mm, published. Mm. And what about you, John? How how were you received by the Metropolitan Police when you were trying to get this going? You know, at the end of the day, this is a, an officer, a Metropolitan Police officer that's been murdered. What support did you get from them? Well, you see, initially I, I was very worried because, you know, obviously in the first few years I was still serving. Um, but... The investigation seemed to go cold. I mean, there was no information. Nothing was happening. Um, whether something was happening in the background, I, I don't know. And I made various requests to see people uh, uh, on 728th, to see the commissioner and all sorts of things. And they were always refused. Uh, um, but I ended up going to see um, a very senior officer in the uh, anti-terrorist branch, uh, who, again, couldn't say a lot, um, you know. Um, it was difficult. It was hard. <clears throat> the, the reports that I've been looking for, uh, which should have been released, you know, under the 30-year rule, um, but the government have slapped another 30 years on it. Uh, now, you know, come on. This happened almost 40 years ago now. What are they trying to hide? This is what I can't understand. Um, there must be something there. Uh, there definitely must be something there. Um but uh, there's no doubt one day we'll, you know, we'll actually find out what, what those uh, documents and reports um, you know, contain. Um, the, the but it is the, difficult. The report that John's talking about, Paul, is called the Duff Report. It was written by Sir Anthony Duff, who went on to become the director of MI5. Right. And it was written, uh, it was commissioned by um, Maggie Thatcher in the mm. aftermath. Um, she asked Anthony Duff to do a, a thorough analysis of, of the... Um, a report on, on the siege and everything that happened, the incident um, and recommendations. And it's been kept secret, secret, secret. But it's one of those classic things that, no, you cannot read the Duff report. But when you go through cabinet papers, you'll find meetings where they talk about the Duff the report. Duff report. <laughs> so you can start to piece together what the Duff report must have contained you can't see the actual wording, but when you see um, like uh, transcripts of, of officials discussing the content, it's clear that the the Duff report in its analysis of the the events surrounding the siege decided that the um, relationship between the police and the political establishment needed to change. Yeah. Very soon afterwards. You see the the introduction of, of legislation, which puts MI5 on a legal footing for the first time. Wow. Takes the investigation of terrorism away from the police service and transfers it to MI5. The, the, so they become the, the, the first, first line of responsibility. And then gradually, 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 over the years, 
You'll, you see legislation coming in and changes being introduced to the police service, eventually to the point where we see police and crime commissioners brought in. And it all follows a trail which is really as a result of the Duff report. Dan, you're quite right. It is, it is a result of that. But see, the, the, the good thing it said is, as far as I was concerned, um, for all these documents and certainly the Duff report as well, if they're being withheld by government, there's something there. There's mm. definitely oh, something there that they, they don't want us to see. Now, to my mind, that's good. That's good news for me. Very good news for me because I must be doing something right. Um, but as I say, one day we'll find out what that is. But to me, you know, no problem at all. But that, but that's frustrating because I mean, Maggie was well known as being the leader of Law and Order, and 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 well supported the police service in those days. And we're talking about a time when the miners' strike was on the gut, you know. So they, the the Conservative Party at the time, needed the police service in order to um, support yes. their, their political aims, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but they also needed control of the police service. Yes, they did. Yeah, and that is something that in the 1980s they didn't have. The police were very much more independent yeah, of politics were. in those days. Who's the commissioner in '84? Kenneth Newman. Newman. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's um... Kenneth, Kenneth Newman, one of the few few commissioners not to be made a lord. Is that right? Mm. His the, his successor, Peter Imbert. Peter Imbert was made a lord. Lord Imbert. Wow. Um, his predecessor, a lord. John Stevens, a lord. Kenneth Newman, who defied the, the politicians in order to carry out a criminal inquiry into the Libyans, not made a lord. Well, what does that tell you? Yep. Head of the anti-terrorist squad, traditionally knighted. Head of the anti-terrorist squad in 1984, not knighted. That's bizarre. I mean, that's that, but that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it just shows how corrupt things were at that time. And dare I say, there are probably still elements of that corruption taking place today. You only have to look what's in the popular press mm -hmm, at, at mm -hmm. the moment. What does it look like for you with regards to the publication of the book, and what's the scope? How far are you uh, have you gone with it? I mean, is it UK based or is it literally all over? Uh, it's all, it's it's it'll be available um, all over the world. Um, the points of purchase uh, are are many and varied. It's mostly UK based because the the the, the principal audience that is aimed at is is the UK. Um, but it, it's it's been interesting lately that there's some um, interest coming from across the Atlantic as well. Um, John and I will soon be recording um, uh, a, a series of podcasts for a, a United States-based um, podcast. So, um, you know, it, if, if it goes across the water as well, and certainly, you know, many of our colleagues have, have, have emigrated to places like New Zealand and yeah. <laughs> Australia, and so there's a lot of interest over there as well. Oh, it's brilliant. You've got Lee Child... Um He's put a you know a, a great piece on the on the very top of your book. I mean, it is, mm -hmm. it is, which is a nice testament to to the skills that you've got in order to write. What does justice look like for you, John, with with regards to what took place in nineteen eighty four? Well, many people have asked me that. What is justice? Um, you know, I used to think uh, that I knew what that was. I don't think I know anymore. Um, 
you know, we've come so far um, and, you know, we've we've won at the High Court, we've won at the Appeal Court. Um, Justice for me, at the end of the day, will be a a private criminal prosecution against Mr Mabrou, which, you know, hopefully will start very shortly, uh, for him to be convicted of a criminal offence and uh, to get an international arrest warrant um, issued, uh, should he not appear. Uh, and get him in front of a, a criminal court. Now, it doesn't have to be in, in the UK. It could be in Libya. It could be in The Hague. Um, you know, that, that's entirely up to him. But uh, he should be held to account for what he did or his role in, in the murder of Yvonne in a criminal court. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And because the, the, the political landscape of Libya has changed dramatically since Gaddafi was deposed. But... I don't know how secure it is now as a as a country, or how supportive it is. Well, I mean, I mean, as you know, Ben, if you know, reading the book, I've, I've been to, to Libya several times uh, over the years. I got more support from the Libyan people than I did from the UK government. Uh, most of the people over there, they know the story before Fletcher. Uh, they want justice for them as well, uh, and also for Yvonne. Um, they realised, you know, Libya is changing. It's it's changing, you know, sort of daily. And there's a lot of trouble going over there at the moment. Uh, but it is changing. And they want to be welcomed back into the international community. Uh, now, every time I go there, I say, well, look, OK, I would think that will happen one day. But first of all, you've got to sort various matters out. And Yvonne Fletcher is only one. Mm. Uh, you know, there are several others. Um, and I do think the, re- the regime over there is changing. And I do think that that will happen one day. Is it a stable place now or is it still? No, no, it's, not no it's, it's, it's still not stable. It's, it's still not. It's, it's probably it's worse now. It's, it's probably worse now than certainly I was over there. I mean, it was bad when I was there, but uh, uh, it, it's, it's got worse now. And how are you funding this, John? You know, you, you've put an awful lot of work into um, the legal element and what have you. How are you funding it? Well, again, if I go back to the early days, I was funding it myself. Um, um, I put all my commutation into it and, and all sorts of things. Um, I got to the stage where, you know, funds were, were getting tight. The longer it goes on, uh, you know, the more legal advice and the more legal representation you've got to get, and that's got to be paid for. Um, uh, so I got to the stage where, you know, <laughs> I didn't have much left in my, in my little pocket. Mm. Uh, so I, I put out an app, you know, a cry for help, if you like, and, and various people donated um, uh, to the fund. Um, they set up a, a justice fund as well. Uh, you know, a lot of people paid into that. Um, and also the Police Federation. The Police Federation, uh, you know, um, helped, helped us out as well. Um, and with that money, obviously, that, that funded the civil proceedings in the High Court. Um, I didn't realise how much it would cost to take a case to the High Court. Bearing in mind, we were only in the High Court for three days. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, it cost over a quarter of a million pounds. Wow. Uh, and that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money in anybody's book. And you can see why the, there, there are only certain parts of the of society that can afford to take high court action, can't you? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's so, right. That's brilliant about the federation. I didn't. I didn't know that, but it's absolutely right and proper that they um, that they and other police organisations should get involved in this. You know, the, uh, yes, I accept quarter million pounds is an awful lot of money, but there are forty three police forces in this country, and if they all made a donation in order to 
push this further forward, then it would be a few quid each in the grand scheme of things. Yes, it would be. I mean, and and I think you've got to remember, you know, we're doing it for the for the men and women who are out there now, you know, who have, who have followed in our footsteps because it's important for them to understand and believe that you know, should something awful happen to them, and, and God forbid it, it, you know, it never ever does. Uh, but if it does, that somebody somewhere will stand up and represent them and look after them if the authorities don't. And I think that's very important. No, I, I absolutely agree. As time has moved on, John, I mean, and and Matt, I mean, Matt, you you were on traffic at the time, if I remember rightly, and you, right, yeah. you, you escorted the vehicle through the streets. And, and as you say, you, you, you carry that burden, which you, you should never, you know, I don't know you, but you know, I, I see you as a as a mate because of what we've done. Yeah, yeah. But you should never carry that burden, mate, because you know we've all done things and things have happened and so you know. Well, it was a, for me. It was, it was a complete irony. Irony is the right word. I I I was driving this police traffic car. I was sent to do a, a routine ambulance escort, such as the nature of traffic cars are asked to do. Picked up in an ambulance, an ambulance in Regent Street, escorted it to the Westminster Hospital, did our job, went back to normal traffic duties, not actually knowing what we'd done, mm. not actually knowing that within that ambulance had been somebody who was at my housewarming party a few weeks previously. Oh. I hadn't known. And I only found out that evening when I got home switched on the six o'clock news and a picture came on the news of Yvonne and I was sitting there with my ex-wife who worked with um, Yvonne on the Tom squad, the prostitution yeah. squad in Central and and they worked together and, and my wife Sue was a great pal of Yvonne's and knew her well and I'm sure you can imagine you could have cut the atmosphere oh. in our home with a knife as we sat and saw that picture and we realised who it was. I, I know how I feel and if I get upset, but I know how I feel when my mates have been killed working. And and that year, in 1984, uh, a, a PC, um, a sergeant was shot down in Frinton-on-Sea. And that mm. that sergeant had been a PC with my dad in the 60s. When um, Ian Dybell was murdered in Clacton, he'd been a PC on the shift with my brother and we'd all been mates and and – you, you mm. ne and even now, when I see that a police officer has been killed, that still hurts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that, that was the thing that it it did to us in 1984. Is it, it 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 you know you as a as a group of men and women working together, you had a, a, a somewhat naive belief in the protection that the cloth provided to <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> and what that did that day is it made us all realise just how vulnerable we are. Oh yeah. Yeah, because we've we've spent, you know, when we've retired 30 years and that little piece of plastic with our photograph on it was the piece of plastic we thought we were Superman because that saved our lives. <laughs> and yeah. all it really did was got it got me free transport into central London on the, one of the seven That's tube it. stations yeah. on the central line. Yeah. But 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 it, that was our that was our savior and to to lose a colleague I don't think you can't unless you've been in that organisation. You can't explain it to somebody who hasn't worn the uniform. That you know, because it is, and I've said this before. There are people in our lives that we didn't particularly like, but when they put up an assistance call, guess what? We were there to. You were probably the first there. First yeah. there, 
And afterwards, you'd be brushing each other down, saying, "Well, I don't like you, but I don't want to see you get a punch in the face either." And that's and, it. and that's how we roll. And it's as I say, it's pretty hard to explain to people. Now you've got the the book launch coming up next week, which I'm absolutely delighted to say that I will be there, and um, I'm looking forward to meeting you too, and a few other characters. You've got a few characters going on on that day, haven't you? We have. It's it, it's 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 turning into something of a reunion. Uh, I've been pleasantly surprised at the number of um, former Bow Street and C District officers who who have registered to attend. These are people who have not seen each other for decades. Um, so it's not just going to be a, a launch of the book. It's not just going to be a celebration of Yvonne. It's going to be a, a, an incredible reunion uh, of people who have um, shared that uh, that common career. That is absolutely brilliant. You know, and it's such a sad. It's such a sad story and it's such a step, but it's such a great feeling when you've got all these people. And do you know what? We, we all think we're 20 again, don't we? When, when we, yeah, that's right. When we go and yeah, do that's it. Right. And you see, all, all those guys, you know, guys and women who are going to be there, they're all going to have their own little stories to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's going to be amazing. No, that, it is going to be amazing. And, and what does it look like? I mean, TV, because this makes a, a, a great drama. I mean, it's it's just. You know, from from a factual perspective, it's huge. Hmm. What does that look well, like for you? Well, it's, it's interesting you should say that. When when I first pitched the idea of this book to my agent, um, and I told her that the what had been revealed as a result of John's efforts, her jaw physically dropped at the revelations that she knew this was going, and she realised this was going to be um, a, a a challenge. Um, to, to find a, a publisher brave enough to, to take it on um, because of the political connotations and the, and the revelations politically, mm. particularly. Um, interestingly, before the book rights were sold, the TV and film rights were sold. Brilliant. Even, even before uh, we'd agreed a publisher, a TV production company had been in touch saying, we, this is a project we have wanted to do for years. Um, Thank you. This is the material we need to make this story. Um, we want to buy the rights. Um, that production company have now sold those rights on to an even bigger company. Fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, John and I at this stage aren't allowed to name who that production company uh, no, is. That, no. <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, I w- I'm not even going to ask me. I know how that world works. So, given given that the the creative director. And the executive producer from those companies are coming to the book launch. I don't think it's going to be secret for very long. But um, I mean, when when this particular company came through, and they, you know, I mean, we the kinds of us we we don't know the names of TV production companies and what they make. Do we? You know, you know the names of the TV programs, but you don't know who makes them. Even I had heard of this company. Brilliant. So that's um that's really quite something. Oh, that is- uh, you know, fingers crossed. Who knows. Yeah, it's a real testament to your efforts, though. You know, guys, you, you've, John, you, you've pursued this and pursued this and pursued this, and, and Matt, you've got it into a format that makes it quite clear what's actually gone on. I think people will will, will know by the conclusion of it. Now, you've got a dinner dance coming up, Governor, haven't you? you got a, have you got a, a, a dinner being held at the Connell Rooms? We have on on the seventeenth of June. Uh... You know, only you know, a couple of weeks away. Um, it, 
again, it's it's more of a celebration because that, that's near enough the day. It's a Saturday, but it's near enough the day that Yvonne would have been sixty-five years old. Right. Um, right. So it's it's a bit of a, a, a birthday party for her, and uh, but it, and also a celebration, you know, for for everybody else, you know, to really to celebrate our achievements today and you know how far we've got, because a lot of people thought we'd fail. A lot of people thought I would fail. Uh, I'm not like that. I very rarely fail, you know, things that I do, um, and 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 I will carry on. But uh, we've got about 220 people coming along. Oh, that's um, there, are, there are one, I think there's two spare uh, tables at the moment. So if anybody else wants to come along, oh, by, by we'll, we'll, let me know. We'll push that out there. And what we'll do is we'll put all your links into the body of this of this podcast. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, the Connaught rooms are just around the corner from the old Nick as well, from Bow Street. Nick. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, we're having a, a you know as part of the um, the, the evening we're having a, a grand draw, uh, and you know I'll give you just two or three prizes that we've managed to get, and and these prizes have all been donated. Um, one prize is uh, a flight and a Spitfire. Wow! Uh, another another one is oh. uh, a flight in a fighter jet. Good lord! Uh, another one is. The Nomad Hotel. Now, the Nomad Hotel is the old Bow Street Police Station. It's a luxury hotel in Covent Garden. Uh, now, they've kindly donated a night in a suite there with dinner for two and a private viewing of the Bow Street Police Museum. How lovely. We've got an afternoon tea in the Savoy. We've got the Royal Box in the St. Martin's Theatre for four people to watch the mousetrap and various others. And we've got two or three holidays, all sorts of things. So um, it's going to be a great evening and, you know, and, and I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, I bet you are. That's fantastic. And it's good that people are pulling together on it. And as I say, we'll, we'll put it out there, that, of what, you, what mm. you're doing, and we'll certainly get the, your book circulated through all our all our lovely friends because I, I know there's a, there's a few that are interested in reading it. So... Um, no, I think it's really good. Gents, I'm not going to press you on the content of the book because I don't think that's appropriate. I want people to buy the book. I want them to read it and understand the content of it, certainly oh. before it comes out. Um, There's, there is something I, w- I would add, on, mate. Paul, if you, don't, if you don't mind, and it does mention a little bit about the content of the book because it's this book isn't just about the political ramifications, about the policing, about the siege. It's a, a story of one man, John, and his incredibly heroic and brave campaign over such a long time, never giving up until he achieved his objective. And that kind of story is absolutely remarkable. John achieved things throughout the last 40 years that I don't think anybody, any of us, could have done. He's achieved things that the Met Police with all its power, influence and size, could not achieve itself. And he did it. And could, that's, I think, the it's the frame upon which this story hangs. I, I absolutely agree. And, and it's no disrespect, Matt, but when I, when you look things up, it does come up with John on, on the first instance. Right, and, and that's right too. It, this, this is, this is I, I'm the writer, John is the story. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but what a writer. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. He's done a great job. He's done a great job with the book, and I, and I couldn't have asked for better. Do you, I, I'm just going to take you back a second because you said even the Metropolitan Police couldn't do. Do you think they couldn't or wouldn't do? They couldn't. They couldn't. I mean, you, you take an example of some of the things John achieved when he, he, he would go to Libya. The Met sent officers to Libya to interview suspects. 
they were denied access to them. Yeah. John goes to Libya covertly in dangerous circumstances, and John can go up to a prison guard and say how much to get in to be allowed access to talk to this chap. A Met police detective, you couldn't do that. No, you You're not allowed to say, no. oh, here's some money, allow me in. No. You can't do that as a policeman. John could do that, and he had the balls to do it as well. Yeah. And he got in and he got access to these people and he got to talk to people that the Met couldn't get access to. That's incredible, Fantastic. isn't it? Yeah. That is absolutely incredible. Well, gentlemen, what I'd like to say is thank you very much. But before we go, I would like to ask you the following question. Is there anything you'd like to add, alter or correct in, <laughs> in relation to what we've discussed today? The statement is true. I've made it of my own free will. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. exactly what I expected you to say, sir. Um <laughs> Gents, the book is out on. Is it actually out on the eighth? It's out. It's out on the eighth in in audio book, um, in ebook, and in paperback, and it's available through all booksellers in the United Kingdom. Fantastic! And we will make sure that that gets out there. One question I've got to ask: Where did the title for no? no okay, audio... it came from Alex Fish. From Alex Fish. Uh, when I was interviewing Alex Fish, uh, and he described that that he just had the feeling that this day was going to be no ordinary day. And I, as he, as he said those words, I thought, what a good title. What a good title. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And as I say, it's, it's iconic. The, the, the cover, the, the picture is iconic. Gents, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I look forward to everything coming out and uh, I look forward to speaking to you both in the future. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Take care. God bless you, and I will see you next week. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.